Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. All right. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Brandon Dyson, who is the co-founder of the website www.tldrpharmacy.com, which is the dot connector and gap filler of your pharmacy education. TLDR Pharmacy simplifies complex topics and teaches you the hands-on real-world skills that you need to stand out in a crowded market. Brandon also manages an outpatient oncology pharmacy and is an assistant professor for the Georgetown University School of Nursing. He is board certified in both oncology and pharmacotherapy and lives in Austin, Texas with his wife, two children, and a dog. Brandon, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you um, very, very much, Hillary, for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here. Well, we are glad to to finally have you join us and hear a little bit more. And, um, you know, our, our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, but if there's any any gaps in that intro or if you want to share a little bit more about your personal life, we'd love to hear that as well. Of course, of course. Um, <clears throat> that, that hits the major points, at least professionally speaking. Um, there's TLDR Pharmacy, which is you know, sort of a passion project slash my main side hustle. Um, there's my my day job, which is oncology pharmacy, which I'm also very passionate about and enjoy. There's teaching, um, and then and then there's family. That that definitely eats up the vast majority of my time. Um, but it's you know there's there's other stuff. I exercise. I like to play guitar. Um, I hang out with my wife. You know, we we do fun stuff. Uh, we watch or we love like the Netflix movie on a Friday, you know, boring stuff that everyone else likes to do, I guess. So <laughs> it's all there. Well, and Austin yeah. is a pretty cool town. I have lots of friends yeah. that live there. And so I've spent a, a pretty decent amount of time in Austin. So it's a great place to be outdoors and, and do the hiking and things um, all around what Ladybird Trail. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, and I mean, I live literally a mile and a half from the wildflower center so there's a lot of fun cool things that we we do we have small children my kids are four and a half and 15 months so that puts somewhat of a limit on you know some of the activities because they're very attention demanding at this age you might say um (laughs) but yeah it's it's a great great city i love it here in austin yeah well, cool. Well, Brandon, let's first start um, talking about your main, um, you know, kind of side project, if you will. You called it your side hustle, but TLDR. So, what does that stand for for those who don't know? And then tell us a little bit about what it is and how you got, or how and why you you founded that. So, TLDR. Um, if you've ever hung out on the internet in a Reddit form or, or really any, or even just read a long blog post, it stands for too long, didn't read. So it's a summary. It's kind of the, the nitty gritty, the look, I just wrote 2000 words. Here's the most important, you know, five bullet points from that or whatever. It's a distillation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what that website, what TLDR is like for us, why we started it is kind of, you said it in the intro, but the dot connector and gap filler is I think really what I, what I aspire for it to be, what I hope it's doing. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is, so pharmacy school is very, at least my experience, my students' experience, it's kind of black and white in how they teach you because they have to teach you to a standardized test. They teach you to the NAPLEX, to a multiple choice test. Um, but once you start practicing, you find out that real life isn't black and white. Like we had a, we had a professor in pharmacy school that every time we would ask him a clinical question, his answer would always be, it depends. Hmm. Um, But that's kind of exactly what it ends up being in real life. Um, And it was very frustrating as a student. I don't mean that like I, it was funny, you know, of course, I just mean, I wanted to know what, what make, what does it depend on, you know, for which Mm -hmm. patient, for why this one, not that one, why would you do this in this scenario and that and another one? Um, Mm -hmm. And you sort of need the, clinical experience to develop that that context that it depends but what i wanted to do what we wanted to do with tldr is help provide you with that help provide you with that confidence because although you'll learn you know first line treatments for heart failure you know you'll learn ace inhibitor you'll learn beta block you'll learn all of this that's not what you're going to get asked in real life (laughs) You're going to say this patient's serum creatinine is 3.5. They've got an AKI. You know, like, what do I do? Do I hold the ACE? And you you have no clue, right? Like, that's not covered on the NAPLEX really so much. And I wanted to know and I wanted to help students understand um, and new practitioners and residents kind of the most. And, that, you know, it's my opinion. It's our opinion, obviously. So there's a bias in there. But this is the most relevant material. This is what, this is how you're connecting the pharmacology, the, the chemistry that you learned in school, the statistics. This is how you're connecting it to real world actual practice so that you can actually understand what's going on so that you actually are armed with the information to make a actual clinical decision on the patient that's now sitting in front of you. Um, and so you can educate that patient, right? Like there's also the translation part. I see pharmacists as like the great translators and it's neat if you understand all of that clinical stuff, but if you can't explain it to the 70 year old patient in front of you, like you're not going to do her a lot of good. Right. So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so basically after you'd kind of been out in practice for a little while, it sounds like you and your co-founder, um, kind of felt called to put together some of your learnings. And did you guys start that as, as blog posts or, or like what, when did you guys kind of start putting out some material and, and see that there was a real need and, and, um, people started, uh, you know, really reading it and gaining, it was gaining some traction. So we started in 2016, um, I like officially launched. We had actually been informally meeting and discussing for probably a year before before that. We were originally going to make phone apps, like we had all these ideas, and we sort of took a major pivot and decided to go website with a blog um, route. And it just 
the best, the simple sentence I wish I could, that I would say is that TLDR is the thing that I wish existed when I was in pharmacy school or when I was a resident. So I wrote to that. So my audience, um, you know, while it's certainly inclusive of, of a wider range, but I would, the vast majority of our audience, I think is fourth year students, new practitioners, residents, you know, people that are in their first five or so years of practice. Um, that's really where I closely still am. I graduated in 2013. Um, so it's, but that's kind of who I'm writing to. That's what I'm, that's what I know, you know, that's what I think I'm, I'm good at is like, okay, here's where I struggled when I was still learning all of this stuff. Here's what I've found out. Here's how I, here's how I memorized all of those crazy side effects. Here's how I passed that test. Here's how I studied for this, you know, and X, Y, Z. And as we started doing it, um, it honestly just started organically picking up traffic. I mean, obviously we were trying to tell people about it. We started an email list. We're always like, Hey, please tell people help, help, you know, for the love of God help. And then, uh, it, it was slow, definitely slow, you know, a dozen people here. I remember it was like one of our earlier weeks. Um, maybe we'd been a website for like a month or two and we had this like internet breaking 80 visitors on our site in one day. And it was like, Oh my God, that's awesome. You know, and now that's, I mean, it's, that was, we're orders of magnitude above that now, but it's just kind of crazy. Like it's, it very slowly grows, but you find something that resonates. Um, One of the earliest things that really helped with us is that we started making cheat sheets, which is what we use to study anyway. We, we polish them up a little bit, um, but we distill, you know, it started with single page cheat sheets. Like, and you can get, we have an antibiotic cheat sheet that you can get for free. If you just sign up for our email list, it gets emailed to you immediately. And we started making cheat sheets like that single page things that take everything that I can think to distill on antibiotics into a single page. Um, since then, you know, as those have hit and we started gaining more and more traction, we started getting traffic from Google. We started getting, you know, more shares from other, other sites. Someone would write an article on pharmacy times that would link to us vice for, you know, like, so things just sort of picking up. Um, and we kind of, our cheat sheets have grown up quite a bit now too. So now we have, we have an HIV cheat sheet that I would probably posit is about ever the most comprehensive like condensed form of drug therapy that exists like on HIV like specific to drugs but it weighs in at like 16 pages now like so our cheat sheets are almost misnomers to an extent because it's not a single page anymore but the value that they contain are is to me astronomical it's the amount of information the amount of time you would save having this as a reference when you're practicing or when you're studying for the NAPLEX or just just your infectious disease module exam next week or whatever is, it's very good, you know? Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist.
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So basically just kind of a, a great reference guide and, and you do all things. So you're, you are, you do work full time as a manager for an oncology infusion and retail pharmacy. And so, um, your, the TLDR post cover everything kind of pharmacy, um, covers. That's helpful. Um, so Brandon, how let's, let's kind of go into like, you know, how did you, uh, how, how did you get into oncology infusion and retail pharmacy? And, um, maybe tell a little bit more about what oncology infusion is like, what does that practice look like, um, for, so that people can kind of get that in their mind and, and understand exactly, um, what that setting, uh, is like. So my day job, so oncology, you know, most patients are treated outpatient now. It's not like 15, 20 years ago or whatever, where everyone had to go to the hospital. Um, we can treat most patients in a, you know, in an infusion center, they'll come in, they might be here for eight hours. They might be here for two hours, some for less than 10 minutes, you know, depending, but we can give you your treatments on an outpatient basis, unless you're so sick that you need to be in a hospital for most indications, right? Like if you have relapsed AML, you're, you're going to go to a hospital. You're not going to see me here. Um, mm -hmm. There's also oral oncolytics. Now we have, you know, an increasing number of oral chemo drugs or targeted therapy to treat, you know, everything from lung cancer to prostate cancer, you name it. There's even stuff for CML and various things. So there's a need for a specialty pharmacy in that. Um, Oncology. So my day job is is very busy. I'm in a very busy infusion center slash specialty oncology pharmacy, retail pharmacy, but it's extremely satisfying. I've got a all of the physicians that I work with. I mean, we're all in the same building. Um, I answer clinical questions for them. We churn out stuff for the patients. Obviously, making sure it's appropriate. We actually prescribe the um, antiemetics for chemo on behalf of our doctors here. So we're extremely involved in that for every single patient. Um, we're, you know, we're, and we, we've just, through time, we've established trust with them so that our recommendations, whether it be for a renal adjustment or for whatever it might be, are taken very seriously. Um, we also, you know, especially my role as a manager is responsible for the financial health of our pharmacy and of our clinic. So I, at any given time, my inventory is about a million dollars. Um, and I'm in a very small pharmacy square foot wise, um, mm -hmm. relative to that. But some of these drugs, I mean, there are drugs that I give that are $12,000 a dose. There, you know, there's one that yeah. I give that's $72,000 every two months, you know, it's a very expensive. Um, and so, I have to flag things that might be a payment risk, right? Things that might not get paid for by this patient's insurance because it's in a gray area, a clinically gray area or, and then I'll try to identify patient assistance programs and, and things like that to ensure that we can treat the patient um, while not taking risk for ourselves or for the patient. So it's a super satisfying practice environment. I get to take students. It's Monday through Friday, no evenings, weekends, or holidays. It's like banker hours. If you've ever worked in healthcare, I came from a hospital before this. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a, 
that's just like a pipe dream. Um, yeah. To reverse engineer how I got here, I did a residency at Georgetown University, which is how I ended up teaching for their nurse practitioner program. Hmm. Um, okay. I just did a PGY-1 and then randomly ended up working in the oncology pharmacy at Georgetown after that. I had, didn't have a job. Um, I was looking. I wasn't finding anything. The director said he had an opening in oncology, said he would love to keep me. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, I need work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I ended up, I wasn't particularly interested in oncology before that, but really grew to love it. Like almost immediately, I was kind of amazed. I think I was intimidated by it initially, but it's like when I actually started doing it, I was like, wow, this is great. And it's just been been that ever since. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing to see how oncology therapy has changed so much just over um, a short few number of years um, and and that everything is has been able to move more to that um, you know patient uh, uh, I guess, you know, we're all moving towards more patient-centered and, and that customer experience. And so if patients can, you know, go and get their infusion, uh, not at the hospital, but in a more um, convenient location, and, and you've kind of got that uh, standing facility with with the pharmacy and the, the providers and everything all in the one hub, um, that's really great. Um, so you mentioned that one of your major responsibilities is budget. Um, do you have any tips, uh, that you've learned on budgeting or any, any financial, um, recommendations that you have? I think that's an area where, um, schools, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, don't really get to cover a whole lot, but, um, yeah, if you're, if you're a pharmacist in a administrative position, um, you know, you've got to be really competent with finances. So, um, how, how are you able to kind of learn the ropes with that, Brandon? Some of it's through experience. Some of it's through calculated risks, you might say. Um, a a, a great example, um, without going into too much detail, but due to holiday closures that we had, we were closed on Christmas. We were closed on New Year's. We were closed on Christmas Eve, Christmas day and New Year's day. But due to that sort of perfect storm of the specific days of the week they fell on in 2019, our New Year's Eve was like we we probably saw more than in our clinic, not not even counting retail, but 60 to 80 more patients than we normally see on our busiest day. It was almost catastrophic, like thinking of how are we going to manage this? Um, how are we going to? Because in, in an infusion center, right, you have not just, it's not just, okay, well, we'll make the drugs and whatever, but you have, chair time is critically important. We have a limited number of chairs. There's a limited number of parking spaces outside for those mm-hmm. patients. So we have to make these things. We have to get patients in and out quickly. I mean, one, it's the holidays for them. I'm sure they want to go do whatever on their New Year's Eve, but right. two, so that the next patient can get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we did, there. With, again, without too much, but there's a pretty big regimen called Folfox that we are in full theory that we give to colorectal patients that involves a 46-hour infusion pump that we make. And then the patient comes back two days later and gets it disconnected, which would be January 2nd in this case. 
Hmm. So we had 41, 42 of those patients on that day. And it, this is a very lengthy thing. So what we did, and the pumps take forever to make, it's a, it's a high mixing burden for a technician. So what we did, mm-hmm. identified through the physicians, patients that were stable with their labs, hadn't, their labs are stable, they're not neutropenic, they're not any risk of a dose reduction, basically. So as long as the patient shows up, they're going to get treated. Um, and then also patients that are reliable, this patient will show up and we even had some of the physicians, nurses calling to confirm, okay, you are here, you will come correct. And we did, because of that, we ended up making the day ahead of time because this pump that we make is actually stable for seven days at room temperature. So we ended up making 26 of the pumps on Monday before the patients, you know, before Tuesday even came. So it was just all sitting there and ready. We made a bunch more pre-meds for them. So, and we had them ready. So they showed up, the infusion nurses could just grab them. Like we were double checking things, obviously, as they were going. And that sped the process up so much. So that helps with budget in terms of chair time. Obviously, I also had to have the drug on hand for it. I had to plan for that. We had to plan for that. But two, the drug that... The, the drug that goes in the pump, fluorouracil, is relatively cheap. If it was $9,000 a dose, I don't think I could stomach making 26 doses ahead of time, <laughs> mm-hmm. knowing, knowing the risk of what would happen for even one patient that doesn't show up. But this is a relatively, and it was a, a calculated risk, I guess is what I mean by that. So mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of planning. Otherwise, it's trying to plan for three days in advance, knowing getting an idea of what drugs you go through a lot, um, trying to keep a couple extra of certain high movers on hand, but not too many, um, so that your, your inventory is not completely out of whack. Yeah. Wow. Uh, sounds like some really careful planning and, um, yeah, just, just, uh, making those, uh, smart, uh, decisions and, and how to, how to maximize and work with, um, the rest of the team, make sure, making sure patients are going to be there and looking ahead at the calendar schedule, all of that. Um, yeah, well, that's really interesting. So Brandon, you've got a lot, uh, going on with, with, you know, your, your full-time job, your, um, TLDR business, um, and then, of course, the uh, teaching pharmacology to nurse practitioner students online through Georgetown University. How do you uh, balance um, all of that and uh, maybe share a little bit about, you know, some of your philosophy on investing in yourself? Okay, um, good question. So in terms of balancing it all, it's a lot of caffeine, um, especially with small children. <laughs> No, I mostly kidding. I try to make sure I get enough sleep. I I'm, I try to be very intentional and plan with my time. Um, I mentioned I like to watch Netflix and the such with my wife, and we do that, but very rarely during the week. Um, I'm I, I don't watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't keep up with a lot of stuff in that sense um, because I don't have time. I. <clears throat> I'm pretty good at multitasking. So I'll typically, I'll wake up my, my perfect day. I'll wake up, I'll get some exercise in, um, a lot of times because my 15 month old has recently decided that he likes waking up between four thirty and five. He's, he's there with me as I'm doing all of this, um, which is less than awesome, but that's where we're at right now. Hopefully it's just a phase. So he's there 
and I, then it's just full tilt getting everyone ready for the morning. I take my older son to pre-K and then I go into work. I have about 30 minutes. I can plan out my day here. Um, and kind of in the interim intermittent spots while I'm at work, I'll try to plan for the next day at work, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. what it basically boils down to is taking kind of like an audit on Sunday evenings, for example, and even nightly and saying, what do I need to accomplish this week? What do I need to accomplish tomorrow? Can I pre-make my lunches for work ahead of time? So that's one thing I don't have to worry about. And I'm not, you know, going to the hospital cafeteria across the street and eating yeah. whatever they happen to have every day. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of just being intentional and like thinking about it and then setting a goal and going with it. Because when I get home at evening, most evenings, at least until the kids are asleep, like I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be answering TLDR emails or work calls. I want to be done with that. There are right. times I will, after the kids are asleep, my wife wants to work on something or watch something or read. Like I might start doing some TLDR work or answer emails or something, but normally I try to be done by the time I go home. Um, yeah. To, so I can have some leisure. So that's, right. Where I'm at with that, in terms of investing um, in yourself, I, I, and I really can't stress that enough. I think it's the single, single best investment you can make, um, more than index funds and real estate and everything like that. Um, I can't, I can't remember a single investment I've made in myself that hasn't paid off tremendous dividends. So. Some of that is obvious. You could say board certification and things like that. And yes, that helps me be a better, more competent pharmacist to win trust of physicians, et cetera. But there's also less obvious things. Um, as TLDR started growing up, I started investing in courses to help me be better at TLDR. I invested in writing communication type, type things. Um, mm -hmm. I invested in, you know, just all sorts of ideas. Cause at the end of the day, what I'm doing with TLDR is trying to communicate information to somebody. Right. Yeah, mostly written, but sometimes other ways, but that applies every day in life. I, as the pharmacy manager, there's not a day that I don't send an email to my boss, to my team, to the team, you know, to the manager of the nursing team, to the finances people like that. I don't mm -hmm. have to communicate some change in a succinct, yep. clear way. <laughs> So all of this writing like that I did just so I could write better blog posts, you know, I probably did it selfishly, right? Cool, TLDR will be even better. We'll make money, yay, you know, or something like that. But like it really unexpectedly helped me in my mm -hmm. day job. It helps me when I'm counseling a patient on, you know, this new oral, this new venclexta they're taking or something. Like I'm, I'm able to more clearly communicate to them what's relevant and in terms that they understand. You know, no one's listening to you when you keep saying you know, febrile neutropenia, like that doesn't mean anything to somebody. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So I have exactly. to explain like what that means on, like I have to, and investing in communication and investing in writing is just one example, like I said, but it's helped me do better than that. Like I can meet a patient or my boss who's not a pharmacist or, or my team who is a pharmacist or the physician who knows more than I ever will about whatever I'm trying to tell them about, you know, like it helps me yeah. meet, meet them where they are and tailor my message accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, so very valuable. Yeah. You know, I think that that's such a great point is, I mean, communication, no matter where you are and, um, 
you know, I, I honestly send a lot of emails um, because I do a lot of external relations with uh, partners, whether it's um, school pharmacy partners, research partners, um, uh, other uh, strategic uh, part like for-profit entities that are, are doing work with Dispensary of Hope. And um, yeah, being able to communicate with non-pharmacist uh, people uh, is incredibly important, not to mention that there's, you know, considering all of the different um, literacy levels and and um, whether you're talking to an oncology patient like you are or um, in kind of the area where I work with underserved populations um, is something to consider. So, yeah, that's huge and it's such a great point to bring up um, about investing in yourself and love getting to hear a little bit more about day in the life. Uh, so, Brandon, as our final question, um, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? Um, so, all right, let's see. One, invest in yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Two, don't get, don't get so mired into x y and z tactic that you read because some influencer like and and focus more on your strategy figure out and like really zoom out think long term where you want to end up what from where you're at right now and and you might not know you might that the answer might just be i want to be a really competent pharmacist okay cool right but you need a job to be able to do that right you have to grow with it and I guess what I mean by like not focusing on tactics is that you'll see lots of stuff like if you start Googling around, okay, especially in the market, I'm going to bring up the, you know, the dreaded market saturation thing. Mm-hmm. But everyone will will have a bunch of, you know, make sure there's a half inch at least of space margin around your CV and make sure that you use this sort of typeface. Don't, you know, Times New Roman or Arial, but don't do this. You know, don't use Calibri. God help you if you use Calibri. You know, like you'll see all mm-hmm. of these like, random tactics, which I'm not saying are necessarily unimportant, but a strategy is much better, right? And so I guess what I mean by that is focus on making the content inside your CV, i.e. you, better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a sort of tunnel vision, I think, that I, I notice it with students, I noticed it with myself, um, and again, current students, now that I teach, that we think, okay, so that means I have to do a residency and I have to get board certified and then I've got to do a second year residency and maybe a fellowship and I guess I should get an MPH too, right? Because that's the only way. And you're you're tunneling down and niching and niching and niching. But I think I think I would be a much worse pharmacist than I am right now and a much worse you know, TLDR blogger, communicator, whatever you want, without all of the other experiences that I've had. So when you're investing, invest in those other areas. Don't niche down, ratchet just to pharmacy and think about long-term strategy. I think everything that you, like the breadth of experiences that you have, the range that you have, so to speak, and then specialize like into whatever area is what's going to serve you most well. It's going to allow you to demonstrate your value to an employer or whatever that is. Um, it's kind of a, I guess, a weird roundabout answer, but I guess 
am I kind of making sense or am I just derailing off track here? No, I think that it gets back to the point that you brought up earlier about reverse engineer. How did you reverse engineer until your oncology job? So I think, you know, what you're getting at is, all right, where do you want to be? And kind of thinking about your long-term goals and then what are, you know, how, how can you reverse engineer into, uh, into that? So, uh, at least that's what I'm kind of taking away from it. (laughs) No, I think that's good. I guess the only other thing I want to mean is don't have blinders to other experiences. Um, I had a, a recent student who had, was, was a, was a, was a manager of a, of a bar, for example, I was, was a bar manager before pharmacy school, um, mm-hmm. and was advised and told categorically by, by people not to put that on his CV. And I could not disagree with that advice more because if you knowing what you know, like you have financial responsibility, if you're like, I'm just guessing, right? Like knowing nothing about this student, but I see manager of a bar and for a while, several years. So he knows about inventory management. If I'm, if I'm a director of pharmacy, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He knows about inventory management. He deals with people in the silliest and worst of their possible human condition, right? Like the worst of a drunk, like he's managing people. He's a leader. Like there are all of these things that I can interpret out of just seeing that one little thing that I'm mm-hmm. never going to know about because it's quote unquote, not pharmacy related. Yeah. So, and all of those experiences make you stand out. If you give, you know, give me a CV of four or a hundred fourth year students that only have pharmacy information on them or recent graduates, they all look identical. <laughs> you get what mm-hmm. to an ACPE accredited school. Neat. Like, let me know something about your personality. Like, be yourself with it, you know? And so mm-hmm. invest in that range. Invest in those other areas. I'm not saying go be a bar manager and then apply for the pharmacy <laughs> job. I'm just saying, like, you have those experiences. I guarantee you have them. And you can get more of them. And they will help you be a better pharmacist if you know how to look for the transferable skills that are in them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that I, I, I'm glad you, you added some more to that. That's such a great story. And I couldn't agree more with that. Brandon, it was such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Hillary. Enjoyed this. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.